Hello and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver, the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming Blog, and with me today is... Brandon Zamudo. Whoa, there you go. <laughs> I was going to call you Brandon Ball Z, but you stole the pun from me. <laughs> you know, that is a new one. I have never heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> On Facebook, I've only been seeing Brandon Z. Yeah, so now I need to go change all my tags on all my things. Just Brandon Ballsy. Got to change all my gamer tags, everything. Yeah, absolutely correct. Thanks. It's going to cost me money now to change my Xbox name. (laughs) And Ted's not here. No! (laughs) Not Ted. I want Ted to sing to me. Yeah, Ted always sings a great song. He would have sang about Brandon Ballsy. I know. And it's like, if I'm on there with Ted, he better sing to me my first time on. (laughs) Yeah, you better. Well, too bad. We'll just have to soldier on without Ted's presence. <laughs> or anyone else for that matter. Because <laughs> as I see on my Steam friend list, Josh is busy playing something. Oh no. Oh, Darkest Dungeon. Is that what. Oh, yep, he's playing something. Is he still playing Darkest Dungeon? Yeah, he has abandoned us. He just talked about, I think it was about an hour or so ago, about how he was been playing Darkest Dungeon. And I guess, <laughs> well, at least he's not a liar. No, he's not alive. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's talk about our main topic of discussion, which was about our theme for Theology Game University's kind of weak thing, which is uh, being uncomfortable. So, what do we mean by being uncomfortable? I guess that it, it means different things to different people, you would think. It could be uncomfortable situations being pulled in to do something you don't want to do could be feelings that you feel you know just you know when you see someone and you just kind of get that vibe like i don't know how i feel about them <laughs> which is the wrong vibe, man. i'm getting the vibe man. yeah uh, how about video games how would you think Ooh. about this uh i took it as when i did mine is actually making me almost physically and mentally uncomfortable because i chose a horror game for mine oh goodness you're braver than i yeah and within the first 10 minutes i the game i chose was dead space and within 10 minutes i was already on the edge of my seat wanting to turn the game off so (laughs) and i didn't even see the first enemy probably by that point in time but just the way that they make you feel what you know that's their main job is to make you feel uncomfortable and just not ready for anything and I think they do a good job in those games, and that's why I chose a horror game. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not a bad choice. No. So did you get very far, or just I'm too in, uncomfortable? I'm in Chapter 2 or 3, I think, right now, and I'm going to keep soldiering on. I will, I will persevere. I think I will keep doing it, because the more that I played it, the more I learned how the game was going to work. You see... A necromorph on the floor it's going to come alive every time you see a vent grate something's going to come out of there and jump yeah. all the time kind of like doom 3 you see yeah. anything it's probably going to jump at you <laughs> pretty much i mean there's still going to be the jump scares but once you can get in that mode and just understand it like it'll still be scary but you can at least appreciate it more with what they do and with the sound design the lighting and everything that they do to make it actually work yeah, I'm just curious how predictable it would get later in the game. That's true. I, that's... I think that's what people were complaining about when Dead Space came out, is that eventually it becomes very predictable, and it's more like a fun combat action game with a kind of a horror theme laid on top. Of it. 
that's got to be hard as a developer to think of how do we keep this game fresh for whether it be you know 10 to 20 hours like how do we keep these scares or what what have you how do we keep these fresh to keep the player on edge without seeming cheap yeah usually you have to do that in a mechanical way so yeah so like um resident evil right just the original resident evil the thing about the mansion is that when you go through you only have a limited number of save save times right because you have to pick up those like typing ribbons Oh, so, the ink ribbons. Yeah, and you have limited ammo, you have limited supplies, and you can only uh, save so many times unless you find mm. other ink ribbons. So there's a palpable sense of tension that doesn't just come through jump scares, right? Yeah. It's also that there's this tension that, oh, my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. I run out of everything. Where do I go? Sort of thing. And the thing that's cruel with them is they don't tell you these things. <laughs> you know, when you play when you play the game, you think, oh, save ribbons. You know, I use these to save. Or I have ammo. I shoot every zombie. And then six, seven hours later into the game, you're backed into a wall and you don't have any ammo. And you got to fight something and it's not going to work out well for you. <laughs> and then you have to start over. Yeah, it's like one of the only games that makes you restart if you make too many mistakes. Mm-hmm. And then it plays the trick on you when you come back from the mansion and all of a sudden, hey, remember those zombies? Well, there's hunters here now, and they can kill you <laughs> with their jump attack. <laughs> and you're basically defenseless. Yeah, and you control like a tank, so if you ever want to run from something in real life, you have to make sure that you turn around to the right and then go forward. We can't. Yeah, but yeah. tank controls are cool. Do you like tank controls? No. <sighs> they're hard to get used to. <laughs> yeah, they're, uh, they're not supposed to be intuitive, but they, they work for those camera angles. I tell you what, though, one once they added the quick turn, that that made it at least a lot better. So was that Resident Evil Three? I think they put the quick turn in finally. Yeah, the quick turn's okay. I'm happy with that. See, and I was surprised in Dead Space for being a game in 2008 does not have a quick turn. Really? Yeah, I found that frustrating. Unless it's just not in an instruction booklet and you have to figure it out yourself. But not having a quick turn is not fun in a survival horror game. So that has no quick turn at all. <laughs> Are you not sure? That I'm, not that I'm aware of. Wow. That might have been with this. Okay, so Google is a uh, Google is affirming to me that there is no quick turn in Dead Space. Well, they gotta have something to improve upon the second game, which everyone thinks is the best. So hopefully, I can get there. Huh. Yeah, I just remember people not being like very scared by Dead Space. I- I'm sure I would be. Yeah. That's just my personal nature, but I I can see why certain game why people might go well dead space kind of becomes easy at a certain point which i assume it does because yeah. resident evil 4 becomes pretty easy at a certain point because you just yeah. have enough upgrades for your gun or whatever yeah and once you know how to actually play once you know okay i only waste two bullets shoot people in the knees then i just go up and knife them and i save so much ammo yeah <laughs> familiarity so. is what makes it so that a horror game is not really very horrific that's true. Like the second time you go through, it's a lot different because you already know what to expect and it's not going to get you. Yeah, because you're playing with the, the idea in mind that you're playing for the mechanics and not so much the the horrific aspects. Because all those surprises are kind of, you know, played out. Like New Game Plus, Resident Evil 4 is a lot a lot different than the first one because you can just run and gun the whole time. <laughs> Especially if you got the Chicago typewriter. <laughs> Chicago typewriter, really? Yeah, I think that's... Is that the unlimited... Like machine gun? Huh. You know, I think you can unlock? Last time I played Resident Evil 4 was like <laughs> a decade and a, half, a decade ago, I think. 
So, yeah, it's been a while for me. Well, I just finally beat it for the first time, I think, probably within the last two years. So, <laughs> yeah, you make me want to play Resident Evil 4 now. I played it on the Wii, which some people say cheating because it's easier to get those headshots with the Wiimote. Oh, you play with the Wiimote. Yeah. No, I think play it's with- an interesting way to play it. It's different. It, it's not better or worse. It is. It makes aiming really easy, though. It does. Like, if you can sit there and you can... It's like... Uh, I'll relate it to using a mouse and keyboard for, you know, first-person shooters. Like, just the precision that you can get with the Wiimote versus using analog sticks makes it a, a lot easier. Yeah, I, I kind of prefer the analog stick myself because I just, I don't know. I don't like the idea of holding the gun like the uh, Wii Zap or whatever you use for it. Yeah, it makes you feel kind of lame sometimes if people were to walk by and be like, what is that person doing? Because <laughs> it's the lamest looking gun yeah. you could possibly be holding. Well, it's like when uh, when it first came out in Skyward, or not Skyward Sword, Twilight Princess. Oh, we're going to be able to do sword movements and everything. And then everyone realized you don't have to do anything. You just have to sit there and shake your wrist. And you you just sit there and attack. Yeah, I played the GameCube version of that, so I didn't get that experience. So did I. I didn't get a Wii when it first came out just because of all the craziness, but I had to play Twilight Princess, so I had GameCube. Yeah, well, well it, it's still a... It's still a good game. Anyway, I don't want to get too far off track with Zelda yeah. stuff. But. So, what did you play? I played Long Live the Queen, which you may have seen me post a bunch of videos about. Uh, Long Live the Queen is a visual novel. Uh, for those who don't know what this is, because it, it's possible you don't know what a visual novel is if you're listening to this. It's a, it's kind of like reading a book with pictures, except for adults. Choose your own adventure? <laughs> uh, maybe... I think some visual novels are more straightforward. So it's just kind of like you watch a book as it's out playing out with pictures and all that sort of thing. Sound effects, maybe cutscenes, depends. You know, part of this just doesn't really seem fun, though. It, like, no, it, it doesn't seem like a game, quote unquote, in the traditional sense. So what is the point of the game when you're sitting there playing? Like, what mechanics are in there to actually get you from point A to point B, and how can you fail in doing this? Well, if you, you can think of it like uh, Bioware games. You know how they always have those decision conversation tree stuff? Yeah. Well, when you're playing a visual novel, it's kind of like stripping out all the combat stuff that Bioware really doesn't care about anyway, and just having yeah. the story. So is it plain, like, black and white, like, you know good and bad in these conversation trees, or is it more mixed and you don't know? No, it's more mixed. Uh, the Well, at least the intent is to be more mixed. Like, in Long Live the Queen, it doesn't care whether you're good or bad or whatever. It just cares about you surviving for exactly 40 weeks. Hmm. That sounds like a good way to go through life. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, like, 14 or 15 years old, you're a queen, and you're going to be crowned in 40 weeks and if you live to that point you become the queen yeah i don't think when i was 14 or 15 i was worried about living 40 weeks i don't (laughs) think that was the farthest thing from my mind but i guess if you're going to become queen well basically well it's not really a straight visual novel it's more like you build up your stats and your stats help you survive certain events that will happen as far as i could tell it's predetermined when they happen so you can avoid some and you know Sometimes you just die. Like, if you're too stupid to detect, like, poison chocolates, you'll eat them because you're an idiot and you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, or you'll be attacked by a magic user guy 
and you'll die. So what stat is a uh, poison chocolate detection? Uh, you need to have skills in subterfuge. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get a cat suit, uh, you know, with a monocle, which you can wear in order to detect it. And uh, you can also be an idiot and get hit by an arrow and then think that curing the arrow involves, like, shoving it further into your body. Ow. <laughs> which doesn't work, as you might expect. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, but there's, like, the appeal of visual novels like at least Long Live the Queen is that there's a series of decisions and you don't know what the end results are. So it's kind of like trial and error, just figuring out what helps you live and what helps you die. <laughs> so, And it seems like with the story being the forefront, one of the main things of the game, was it good? Did it actually keep you involved or invested in it? The story was fun up until the point where everything happens the the exact same way every time. So it got predictable. So I was basically just skipping through text, trying to figure out where the points were that I had to have certain stats up to a certain point. Ah. Because I ended up beating the game by becoming the greatest magician in all of the land. And then destroying the invading army with my magic powers. Did they celebrate you at the end? Yeah, yeah, they did. Okay. Because everything's got to have a celebration scene, yeah, at least. And I blew it up. I blew up the army, and then I awakened the Kraken, and then I had to bind it magically every nine years or something. But I guess it's a small compromise to pay for not dying. Yeah, that's a lot to handle right there. Not only <laughs> defeating, but then awakening a Kraken. Yeah, it's it's a bit it's a bit weird. <laughs> Visual, it the game style makes me uncomfortable because I like action games. I think most people know I like Bayonetta and I like yeah. shooting stuff and I like punching people. So sitting there and clicking and reading does it's, not. I'm okay work. with reading books, but I'm just visual novels in general just seem like I don't know what the specific purpose of it is. Because you'd rather sit there reading a book if you're going to sit there and read instead of trying to make it be interactive. Yeah, it's kind of like when they were doing FMV games back in the day. Oh, Night Trap. Yeah, kind of like Night Trap. <laughs> it reminds me of Night Trap. And uh, what's what's some of the other strange FMV games? I don't know. Those are mostly like, what, 3DO and Saturn games and everything? Yeah, they're they're still around now. They have a bunch of those now. Oh, what was it? Josh talked about on uh past podcast, the, the limo game, Roundabout. <laughs> yeah, that has elements of that. I think it was more of a sega cd thing more than anything else so see i never had one of those i didn't and i'm probably glad i didn't waste the money on it as a kid yeah you should be <laughs> so, so thank you mom and dad for not getting me a sega cd yeah, thank you mom and dad for not getting me a 32x oh, <laughs> i don't ever think i've owned a bad video game system so i'm kind of happy about that have you owned a 3do no i didn't own any of those or a virtual boy i remember playing a virtual boy at the mall when they first came out and then they had, like, huge kiosk everywhere. Yeah, because Virtual Boy was clearly the future of video games. Yeah. So I'm wondering how much of that technology for a 3D Nintendo kept for their 3DS. Uh, probably not. Any. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is ruining kids' eyes, so we need to throw this out and do something else. I think the problem was that it wasn't portable, and I never understood why it was designed the way it was. I was too young to understand anything. You know, I'm probably sure I thought it was cool, but my parents were probably no, we are yeah. not getting this. Well, well, it was 250 bucks, I think. Was it? Yeah. So for inflation, now that's probably like $500. Yes, and there's not <laughs> that many of them out there, and most of the ones that are broken. So yeah. 
it's a collector's item, but that doesn't mean it's any good. Does Ted have one? Okay, so a virtual boy makes you really uncomfortable. <laughs> physically. Yes. Yeah, physically. <laughs> physically uncomfortable. Probably need the emotion pills. Yeah. So so to describe why it's out of my comfort zone, visual novels, it I understand that people like them. And I, I get the appeal from playing this, like but a lot of the visual novels that you can play are a lot more passive. And it's more like reading a book. So how do you feel about the walking simulator games? Uh, I feel like those might be slightly worse. Well, like, uh, what'd be good? Like, uh, everybody's gone to the rapture. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what, why would I want to walk? I can do, go outside. <laughs> I debated playing one of those. It was either that or a walking simulator. But I don't see the appeal. Like, it's not a game. Well, it, from mean, some definitions, it might be a a game, but it's not a game I would want to play. <laughs> yeah, like I own Proteus and I own Dear Esther, and it was my plan to play them before this podcast, but I decided to play Dark Souls instead. You can't go wrong with that. See, that's an uncomfortable game too. Yeah, that game makes <laughs> me really uncomfortable <laughs> because I, I could die at any second. Yeah. I mean, the only time you get comfortable is when you're making the same run for the hundredth time and you know where everything's at. Yeah, you basically memorize things. Yeah. So, video games have the ability to make you very uncomfortable and to put you out of your comfort zone. I think that's what makes a video game interesting is the constant presence of novelty, even though you have kind of a set mechanic that you revolve around. Like in uh, Long Live the Queen, it's mostly stat generation in trying to figure out what stats will make you live and which ones will not. Yeah. I think the interesting thing why it makes it more uncomfortable is besides movies and, you know, books to some sort is you can sit there and watch and read things and visualize, but there's just something about once you actually have control and you're or you get that sense of control from the game and that it makes you more uncomfortable. Yeah, there are games that intentionally disempower you. I think every game does this at some point, right? Yeah, I mean, every Metroid begins off that way. Yeah, and most of the Castlevania ones that are at least like Metroid also do that. Like Alucard at the beginning of Symphony of the Night sort of thing. I can't really think of any game off the top of my head where, whether it be a sequel or not, where it starts you off fully powered and you just go and build on from that. I wonder why. <laughs> I don't know, it just it just seems like a good way for them to teach the new mechanics, or just even the same mechanics over again. It just seems like a cop out and fallback that they just do. Yeah, or to tantalize you with how cool it is. Yeah, and the worst part about like Metroid Prime games is they show you how cool you are at first, and then you lose everything. <laughs> it's like you get the first five minutes, and then Samus loses all her abilities. No. Yeah. And then you have to regain them all. And Zelda does that sometimes, too. Yeah. Zelda, at least for the most part, starts you off as you're the you're the forest kid. You know, you don't have anything, but, but all of a sudden you have to go defeat the big bad guy. Yeah, and then you get a sword, and then you, you die. Yeah. <laughs> and somehow all of them are tied together in the same universe or in three different timelines that they I think they just yeah. made up. See, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Zelda it, lore it, makes me uncomfortable because it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it makes your brain hurt. Try uh, read the forums and ever, people talking about it. It'll make your head hurt. <laughs> That's because Zelda—they just made it up later. They didn't actually plan this out. <laughs> yeah, 
And now that they're in that, is everything else coming after it? Do they sit? Okay, where's this fit in the timeline? No, they don't. Yeah, they. I don't think they can. <laughs> they could care less. No, this is just to get people invested in it. Yeah. Oh, Zelda dollar signs. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're re-releasing like every Zelda game. It feels like at this point. That's true. People are buying them though, and I'll be lying if I said I haven't bought them, even if I already own them. Yeah, Twilight Princess HD. I'm just kind of, I'm kind of iffy about it because I already own it twice. So I don't know if I want to own it again. Yeah, I'm on pre-order for that one. Really? So, <laughs> really? Yeah, that makes I, me uncomfortable. <laughs> I want the I want the amiibo. I'll admit it. I want the Wolf Link amiibo. Oh, amiibo! You're an amiibo yeah. collector. I am for Zelda. Okay, so, just for Zelda. Yeah, Wolf Link. That and I really, really like that game. I've played that game a couple times. That's probably my second favorite Zelda game. You know, it's up there with Ocarina of Time. And it was really close to dethroning it, but Ocarina of Time has nostalgia for me. Everybody likes Ocarina of Time. But now they announced the Amiibo support and the the Wolf Link Amiibo gives you an extra dungeon now. Oh, it comes with the game, though. Yeah, uh, you can pre-order it and you can buy the bundle where the Wolf Link Amiibo comes with the game for 60 bucks. And like the Amiibos unlock stuff. So I think oh, they said like Sheik and Zelda, like Replenish Hearts, Toon Link, and Link give you arrows. And the Wolf Link Amiibo opens up an extra dungeon. So if I don't pre-order it, I'm not going to get an extra dungeon, is basically what you're saying. I think that's how it's going, but oh. I'm confused by that, because I don't understand, like, we know with Wind Waker that they, you know, the dungeons, you know, they had that fetch quest, so you you could tell they cut out dungeons and they said that they did. With this one, I'm not sure if they made a whole new dungeon, or if it's a dungeon that they scrapped that they're just putting back in there. It's probably like a dungeon called Box Dungeon. <laughs> it's made out of yeah. like four squares that they put together. Yeah, there's no boss. You don't get an item. There's no chest, because how can we make this play into the story? It's yeah. loosely called Dungeon. Yeah. but It might um, be good, though. It's it's Zelda, so I'll like it. That's... If you pre-order it on Amazon Prime, you get 20% off, so it's forty seven ninety nine instead. Yeah, that that costs like money though. That costs money on top of money. I seem to get Amazon Prime for free, and I don't know why. So I'm just gonna. Be I can't. Happy with that. I wouldn't complain with that. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm a student. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Endorsement for students, right there. Yeah, students. <laughs> students should sign up. Amazon Prime. Are they sponsoring us right now? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> They're giving me money. They send me so, royalties for my blog. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, we'll just. Leave it. <laughs> I'm raking in the big bucks. So, so how do you think these uncomfortableness, like venturing out and doing this, compares to what's in the Bible? Huh. Well, you, know, you can think about reading the book itself. Okay, so so the the story you usually get when you do the Christian thing. Let's say you get converted, assuming, right? And they yeah. tell you, read John or read one of the Gospels, right? <laughs> they always do yeah. this. And um, when you read those Gospels, sometimes things don't make sense or things sound really harsh, right? Yeah. And then you start delving into other books. Let's say you just wander into the Old Testament and you go, wow, Ooh. there's some freaky stuff happening here. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of wrath and death in this book. This is uncomfortable. Yeah, and incest and rape and um, God murdering a bunch of people and 
uh, <laughs> God, it's sending, not, God sending evil spirits. It's not happy. For the dead. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're, you know, telling a new convert to go read the Old Testament first. No, no, we're not. <laughs> Has that ever happened in the history of the world? No, and the the uncom- another thing about the Bible is it's not in it's in book order. It's not in canological order. So even just reading it from front to back, oh, yeah, you get a lot yeah. of stuff that's just like happening at all different times in the Bible. And then like this book down here will relate to this book back here. Yeah, it's, it's like a it's it would be super confusing if you were to read it from ship to stern. Yeah, I remember the first time I read it, and I was looking at oh, I'm going to read a. Chronological order. Job's the second book in chronological order going on at the same time as some of the Genesis stuff? Really? <laughs> it might be before. Depends on who you're yeah, reading. I th- think it's before. Is it before Abraham and all his stuff? Uh, you know, chronological order is always hard to establish. It, it is. So, because everybody has a different opinion. And it also depends on if you think the, you're a young earth creationist or you don't care about that stuff. Or you're one of those gap people. Or <laughs> you can just keep going on and on. Yeah. So chronological so, so there, order is hard. There's always a new theory about what goes where. Yeah. And technically Chronicles is like in the entire history of first and second Samuel and first and second Kings, which is actually one book. So technically yeah. the histories don't fit in any chronological order because <laughs> they happen at the same time. Yeah. So that makes your brain uncomfortable when you sit here and try to think about this stuff and try to remember all these <laughs> names and how it actually relates. Yeah, and then you read it, and then a lot of a lot of horrible things happen <laughs> in the Bible. Yeah. And I was trying to look up before I came on the podcast about what the Bible says about stepping out of your comfort zone, and it doesn't that I found doesn't actually say anything about taking the steps out. It tells you about God being there for you when you step out and the strength and everything that he gives you, but it doesn't actually say about going out of your comfort zone. Yeah. I think comfort zone might just be a modern colloquialism for, like, doing something you don't want to do well, or something we- that's unfamiliar. Because if you think about every person that God seems to call, he puts them in situations where yeah. they are definitely not familiar with what they should be doing. I'm, I'm just Gideon's a big example, right? Yeah. He's, he's like a wine press guy. He's a, he owns a vineyard, him and his father, right? Yeah. And then God's like, uh, get me an army. And it's he says to him, what do you – why why me? <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. any sense because <laughs> I'm like a weakling coward. Yeah. When, when this topic was brought up, we were reading through uh, Ezekiel, and we got to the point where God tells him, hey, you're going to go in the city and you're going to lie on your side for like 400 days, and we want you to make bread over – like human manure, and then like he's uncomfortable doing that, not so they change it to manure. cow manure. Not human manure, isn't it his? I think it's his, but I think they end up changing it to cow. It ends up changing from cow to human or human to cow, one of the two. And I would be uncomfortable doing that in a public place, <laughs> and I could imagine just probably what he went through and the looks that he got. That had to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. Also, him making a model of uh, Jerusalem and then like arranging figures around. And smashing it and showing, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> like, or, um, was it Jeremiah wears the ox goad on his, he wears the oxen thing? Oh, yeah. In the center of the town, yeah. And then the, the one guy breaks it, and I was like, oh, well, now there's going to be one of iron on you. <laughs> and so. then people get boiled, and people get put to yeah. the sword or stoned to death. There's a lot of uncomfortable things that happen. Yeah. 
the like pretty much every story you think about like is everyone being put in one uncomfortable situation or another or so pretty much almost yeah. like saying being a christian in general is being uncomfortable because that's what's going to happen by putting your trust or faith in jesus right in yeah. god in the idea of the christian faith you naturally put yourself in opposition to other faiths and to other belief systems yeah. So, and the world's going to look at you different. I mean, the, that's what the scripture says. And so you're technically like you're the weird ones. Like <laughs> Christians are Christians are the weird ones intentionally. Yeah. So <laughs> pretty much you're you're going to be uncomfortable because you start naming off be like, "Oh, well so and so was uncomfortable in the Bible." Well, so is so and so. And then, well, all the apostles were uncomfortable because here comes the savior of God and we're out fishing. And all of a sudden, he wants us to be his disciple. I think that'd be uncomfortable right there. Yeah, or, or you know, come out here and walk on water. Everything will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's just storming out. Yeah. And where's he? Oh, he's sleeping. We should probably <laughs> wake him. <laughs> you know, but it's it gives you, like, hope. Like, you know, if you sit there and you see all these uncomfortable things... And the way that people go through them, which I'm sure probably like when you were playing Long Live the Queen or me playing Dead Space, when yeah. you get uncomfortable, once you get to a certain point and you realize like, you know, going through it's actually not as bad as what you originally thought. Yeah. Because you know what? You can actually really get used to anything. At least that's what I found. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll just bring up an example. So today I'm taking accounting classes. Okay, just just for anybody who doesn't know, I'm also getting in a, a degree in um, a Bachelor of Arts degree in accounting in business. Hmm. On top of all the other degrees I have, anyway. Besides the point, <laughs> <laughs> besides the point, uh, I am in the accounting information systems class. And if this does not sound interesting, you're probably not alone. Uh, all day today for homework, I had to make work what are called document flowcharts. Oh, man. <laughs> Which is tracing the progress of a flowchart from this document from one place to the other within a company structure. So through customer service or human resources or all these things. And you have to use very specific symbols, which I guess were established at some point. I don't know. And it makes no sense because the homework assignment is basically like it'll tell you where to put this document. This document goes here, right? And then you have to arrange it. So at first I said, this makes no sense. I'm really confused. But I would say about two or three hours later, I am the master of the document flowchart. <laughs> so so you, you got comfortable within that those couple hours. The first couple the first hour I felt very lost and didn't understand what I was doing. <laughs> and then the way that things are gonna go after that is like now you're comfortable, something else is gonna change and it's gonna put you back in another uncomfortable situation and you're yeah. gonna have to just keep going on. You end up encountering things in your life that make you or make you stop and think for a second yeah. right because i think most of the time we do live in some sense by habits so we'll get used to things right yeah. right now i'm used to like doing theology gaming and i was used to uh, you know playing video games as much as i want sort of thing figuring out and but sometimes things go against your habits and then when they do it's up to you to respond in a way that will either kind of like complain about it or actually get things done. Because the problem with being 
comfortable for too long is you get complacent and then there's no growth. And that goes for any aspect of life. It doesn't have to be just religion. It just can be, you know, you know, just your everyday life. You're not going to grow and you're just going to stay in the same spot. But if you're comfortable. Yeah, because learning new things is hard. (laughs) Just to be honest, learning new things is hard. It never gets easy. No, but it it does. It can become fun. It, but it's part of perspective. Well, and the fun part about learning too, from what I've found recently, is whether you learn something, either if you believe it or not, it at least helps you maybe appreciate what you already do know or why you believe something that you do. Yeah, like um, when I was in religious studies classes, I had to learn about religions that are not christianity and this for some people this seems like like anathema right you shouldn't actually learn about these things but if you don't learn about them how will you ever be able to talk to people who are also that religion yeah because if you're going to want to talk to someone you want to have some base knowledge at least about what they're believing and if you're coming up with a counterpoint you can actually compare and show them yeah like like one of my big uh gaps of knowledge is i almost know nothing about hinduism at all (laughs) neither do i so but there is someone in our in theology gaming university who does know jeff carrion he knows a lot about hinduism right yeah shout out yeah (laughs) and uh he's been teaching me a lot that i had no idea about for somehow i i missed one of the world's like largest religions (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's i don't ask me i i don't know so question about like when you were in theology school like with all the stuff that they taught how much of that stuff did you like i wouldn't want to say like come against but just like not agree with but it was good to learn from perspective oh probably like all of it almost entire majority of my theological education in uh what do you call it in boston university was stuff that i totally disagreed with Hmm. that's interesting Uh, yeah well (laughs) when you go to a school that it's like not your denomination first of all and then yeah second of all has a different political leanings that are also associated with the theology it can get a little iffy so that was totally stepping outside your comfort zone uh yeah yeah pretty much i mean my normal college was merrimack which was catholic and Hmm. catholicism's like it's still very conservative and there are very uh, liberal Catholic institutions, but mine was more on the kind of the middle ground. Yeah, Plus, so you're... Yeah. And I'm Protestant, so that also yeah. makes it weird. But then when you get into a Protestant school that's like really opposed to most of the things you've ever believed, it makes for some interesting conversations. <laughs> yeah, I could sense probably get, having some weird feelings about being there at first. And like, this is, is just kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of happy. I didn't get into uh, PhD programs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would have been healthy for me. Well, and you think anyways, I mean, you don't have to agree with everything that people are teaching and theology anyways, is just pretty much the debate and talking about God, not trying to define God. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. You you know, you hear stories about people going to school and just totally not agreeing and then, you know, being shown the door from their <laughs> teachers, you know, like, you know, like this is the way it is, which is kind of sad. Yeah, I think uh, when if you're coming from a very conservative Christian environment and then you go to that kind of place, the worst thing you can do is to be completely resistant to learning anything. 
Yeah. Because if you do, then you're missing out on a lot of things that you could know that could be useful at some point in your life. And it always pays to have an open mind because we're always going to be changing. You know, we're not going to be the same, you know, five years from now as we are now. And if we are, then something's probably wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so again, to return to our Bible examples, all those people changed dramatically because they were forced out of the comfort zones that they lived in. Yeah. And they always, you know, they learned from people, even if it was from people that weren't even God followers at the time, you know, they were still learning things every now and then. Yeah. Even uh. Moses. <laughs> yeah. Could, could say Moses. Yeah, I mean, Moses like wanders out into wilderness and he's like, I'm just going to hang out with these sheep people. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I'm just going to have a good old time. And then, yeah, uh, then burning bush. Yeah. Burning bush. You're going back to Egypt. He's like, what? Yeah. And talk about someone trying to get out of doing something, but I have a stutter. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Your brother's going to go with you. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. He so, was quite resistant. You know, oh, I'm trying Understandably to think. Understandably so. Trying to think of other stories where people were used that weren't even God followers or just have a good story. I always think of the good Samaritan when you think of something you can learn from someone who's not actually a follower of God and what to do. Yeah, the Samaritan thing is very interesting even from a political perspective. Because you, you know what a Samaritan is, right? Um, trying to think off the top of my head. I know it was... Okay, uh, just, just to... Okay, yeah, just go. To clarify this. So in the story, right, the yeah. Samaritan would be a, a Jew who has married outside of Jewish culture. So it's like basically if a Jew and a Gentile got married. Let's say at ah. that time they was the Pharisees kind of emphasized the purity of the uh, Jewish people, so yeah, it was understood that they were basically outcasts. So Samaritans lived in in Samaria, which is yeah, yeah hence the name. <laughs> and the good thing, and like what you take away from that is when the when the good Samaritan, you know, the helping and everything is not like how it seems to be nowadays. They're not given a checklist about, okay, do you meet this criteria? Cause I'm not going to help you if you don't meet these <laughs> certain criterias, you know? And it's just someone like, Oh, here's someone who's different than me, but yet they're willing to help. And, you know, we can learn from that in the secular world. Like, Oh, this person did this. I don't understand why they may not be leaning this kind of way, but they're showing good examples, even if they don't know it. Okay. So I've always been a believer of that, that you can take good away from people even if they don't believe in what you do. I have many friends that are non-Christian, but I can still learn and take things away from them to probably apply to my faith to make me a better person. Yeah, no, no. I understand that. So, and then, you know, try not to make that, you know, even uncomfortable is like, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm here. I got to do these certain things. You know, sometimes the uncomfortableness is in our own head. Yeah. <laughs> so but I think the willingness to put yourself in a position where you could be. Yeah. Is helpful. Yes. You got to You got to be able to take that step. Yeah. I like. I like relating this to video games because I think video games have this novelty aspect that means that putting you out of your comfort zone is what makes them interesting and yeah. challenging. Like Dark Souls, the first time I played it. Not comfortable at all playing that game. Because if you're trying to play it like Bayonetta, you're just going to die. <laughs> and it makes the experience more memorable. 
because when you're uncomfortable and you have those feelings, you remember that more than just saying, you know, the same old game over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> like you can play the same old beat em up games over and over again. They can start to run together. Whereas, and if you get something that makes you uncomfortable and a little off center, like wherever, however you want to say it, it, you know, you'll remember that time that you had with the game. Yeah. I, I think that's why the, your favorite games usually end up being the ones that kind of surprise you the most. Yeah. Because if you I, come into something with low expectations, it's more than likely that you'll enjoy it. Yeah, because you, you can be let down. I mean, they've made the same Zelda game since, what, 1986? <laughs> something like that. So, like, it's, you're never really let down, but they're never really taking chances. Yeah, I think that's why Zelda's kind of been iffy for me lately. Because you've played one, you've played them all. Okay, so, like, just... Here's my Zelda rant. I don't, really, right. I don't really love Legend of Zelda. <laughs> and the reason why is because almost every game in that series is almost identical at this point. And it, it's partly a fault of the fan base, and it's partly a fault of Nintendo, because they know they can make money without actually doing much. Because, <laughs> let's yeah. okay, just since like A Link to the Past, which has perfected the top-down overhead thing, and Ocarina of Time, which is the 3D Zelda, They've all been functionally identical. They've just kind of been refining the formula that those two games set, and they haven't really, like, made a big jump. Yeah. It, you know the first thing you're going to do is you're going to collect so- three of something, and then it's going to open up, like, seven more dungeons. Yeah, or collect two of something if you're Wind Waker because you're incomplete. Yeah, or, <laughs> hey, I got this item in this dungeon. I obviously have to use it, and this might be the only time I use it. Yeah, I, that might be the only time you ever use it in the entire game. But now, if they change, they're gonna. People are gonna be mad because they messed with our Zelda. Yeah, it's like, and Nintendo can never win this. So no, it's a catch twenty two. You're gonna have people mad if you change. You're gonna have people mad if you don't change. So yeah, I think that's always gonna be the problem. So you know, Nintendo's like, why fight it? So why don't you think many game developers step outside their comfort zone and try to create something new? Uh, well, money. <laughs> True, <laughs> money's a good motivation. Uh, well, even even Dark Souls, right? Dark Souls is now sequelized. The thing yeah. is, like, the first game you play in that series is always going to be the best one, and it's only because of your unfamiliarity and how much, like, effort it took to actually learn how to play. Because when I played Dark Souls 2, it was like... Eh. <laughs> <laughs> and when I played Demon Souls, I was like, yeah, I you know, I, I already did this, kind of. Even though it's, like, a different design and a different world and everything, I play it after Dark Souls, so it just didn't feel as special as that game in some respects. And I'm not sure whether it's because of the actual game itself or just the nostalgia I feel for the first one I played. And it helps when they got that first one out, because once Dark Souls hit, everybody jumped on board. So then when they had the money, hey, we can make a new IP, let's make Bloodborne. Yeah, well, Bloodborne is even a Souls game, kind of. But now, you know, they're even saying, like, Dark Souls series could probably get to end the Souls series. Yeah, which makes me happy, because that means the From Software is confident enough that they don't need to, like, rely on Souls as a crutch. And you can probably guarantee that their next game is going to be probably just as big. Even if it sucks, it'll probably still sell well, because people are going to jump on be- from the From Software train. From Software has always made weird games, so... It, yeah. it, like, have you you played Armored Core? I imagine I have point? not played Armored Core. No, How about did, um, did they, they, no, they made 
some ninja game for the 360 too, didn't they? Ninja Blade? Was it Ninja Blade? It was, a, it was almost like a Bayonetta type game where just run around high action, quick time events and yeah, everything. Yeah, it's, it's a strange game. See, <laughs> I would like them to do the Legend of Zelda. Could you imagine a Dark Souls Legend of Zelda game? That would be pretty fascinating. I think if anyone was to make a Zelda game, I would probably want them to do it. I think they would do a weird and interesting job. Because yeah, the, the comparison I like to make is Dark Souls is basically modern Castlevania. Uh, yeah. In a you lot can, of ways. can choose anything that you want, go anywhere, and here's your world. Have at it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, you know what? I think the new Zelda is going to be different. I mean, it, it seems very different. I don't know. Isn't it supposed yeah. to come out this year? I, so they say. So they say. They they still haven't really shown much. I'm worried about the open worldness of it. So I guess I might start saying I might be uncomfortable with the newness of the Zelda because they are going to try something new. But the open worldness, I don't want them to be like Assassin's Creed. No, you know, I don't, I don't think Nintendo would do. Something. I don't want like a million icons flooding my map of side quests that I need to do in Zelda that might only get me five or ten rupees. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be. A lot more organic and kind of like choice between Dungeon X and Dungeon Y rather than kind of railroading you into a plot sort of thing. So going back to like a Zelda one or Link to the Past where you can, you know, with some respect, go to any dungeon you want. Yeah, because the dream of the Zelda series has always kind of been the exploration aspect. I mean, the original game was inspired by like exploring a wood basically yeah. <laughs> so if they can use modern day technology to supplement that kind of dream i, I th- i'd be all for that and they have honed it down to where you don't need to burn every tree with a candle and try to find a hidden hole yeah we're not because <laughs> we're not so we not doing that but back in 1986 or whatever it was that was the great thing oh you can do this you can burn everything on the screen wow <laughs> let's do this burned down a whole forest yeah and this is way before the internet age so you had to learn everything by word of mouth or call the nintendo lines or figure it out yourself for hundreds of hours because you have lots of free time i think as a kid i would not have had that kind of drive to do that give me super mario where once i'm dead i'm dead and i just start over yeah that happens to me with old games sometimes i just say screw it and i'm just gonna (laughs) just stop playing yeah i think old pc games especially just like because you really have to read the manual. There is no intuitiveness Oof. whatsoever. Man, old PC games. That's a whole... You can make a podcast about that. Yeah, because <laughs> I was going to play Masters of Orion for this like uh, uncomfortable thing. Because I'm terrible at strategy games. Like, just Oof. abjectly terrible. I'm never good at that. <laughs> and I was like, well, everyone... I've read a lot of stuff online, and supposedly Masters of Orion is one of the most elegantly designed strategy games ever made. I don't know. It seems like a a tall claim. I don't know if it's true. Well, they're using the word elegant about it. That is a tall claim. Never heard of a game called elegant. (laughs) It's elegant in the sense that uh, it's not like Civilization where you have to micromanage the entire time. Hmm. Which, you know, have you've played Civilization before, right? I haven't played Civ, but I know about it and, like, how it works. Like, that's the one where you build your civilizations up and, like, yeah. you start off at, like, the base form and you just keep expanding and, like, in knowledge and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and there's a tech tree and you have to keep doing it. The bigger your civilization gets, the bigger the micromanaging gets. Can yeah. you blow up the world in that one? Yeah, sure. I th- I thought there was a game where you could learn to do stuff and wrong decisions can make the world blow up. Well, you can cause a nuclear winter if you want by killing everybody else. 
Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> I don't think do we that. recommend that. Yeah, you just uh, launch cruise missiles at everyone else's capitals and they'll die. <laughs> yeah, see, that's uncomfortable see, for everyone. That sounds, sounds like Rise of Nations right there. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's Wait, Rise of Nations, is that the real-time strategy game? Yeah, that's the one that's kind of like Warcraft and like Age of Empires, where you can play multiplayer. Okay, so that's your frame of reference. Rise of Nations is the real-time strategy version of Civ. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty, that makes much, sense. Yeah, pretty much identical to that. So less managing of stuff right there, just more of like growing. More of growing, more of um, doing a l- lots of micromanaging. But Masters of Orion supposedly is more is more intuitive in that sense. Like there's still a little bit of management to do for strategy purposes, but the rest is high level figuring out what you want to do instead of like looking at piece by piece. But anyway, I'm bad at strategy and long-term planning. So (laughs) that's why (laughs) strategy games make me uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't have that much foresight when I play those games. Yeah. I just end up building stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Like, like SimCity. Use the cheat codes, build stuff, and then summon all the monsters, destroy, and rebuild. Well, SimCity <laughs> doesn't have a goal, so that works. Yeah. For me. Oh. It, it's more like do whatever you want. Yeah. Sometimes those long-term goals, like I've never played a game like that, like Civ, so I wouldn't really... That'd probably make me uncomfortable then. I guess that's a that will be a priority. <laughs> You'll, we'll have to play strategy games and then report back. All right. I think... <laughs> you, you got me thinking of another game uh eve online and i'm uncomfortable reading about all those systems and i would not even know if i'd want to try to hop on that because of how uncomfortable that could be because <laughs> yeah, it's a money sink well not even that like there's been real world like repercussions yeah from e- this game economies yeah there's been like people like really infiltrating other people's guilds and everything like that and sabotaging their companies and people losing hundreds and thousands of invested dollars in the game i can't even believe it's still up it's like 12 years old now i know and like the like the base players like it's not really that high but they keep supporting it man that's dedication right there yeah well world of warcraft is gonna get that old soon yeah i haven't been on that train in a while I was on that train circa last year, and then now I'm not. See, I came late to the party. I think I came in around, was it Burning? No, not Burning Crusade. I think. uh, Lich King, Cataclysm. Cataclysm. It was that one. So I had to buy all this stuff. And, of course, all the friends I was playing with were already on their high level. So I had to get on. This was before they offered the, you know, you buy the game and you level up right away to, like, five levels under. Well, so it's also way too much to make people level that much now. So. Yeah. So I had to do it the old fashioned way and have people power level me. So we're doing this for weeks on end and we get up to, I think I finally got up to around 80 and then everyone decided to stop playing the game. So pretty much <laughs> I did a power level simulator <laughs> for weeks and weeks and I paid $15 a month for this. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. And then we just got done and then I think I got turned off to MMOs for that. I tried Star Wars The Old Republic, but then once I capped out at that, after I bought a six-month subscription the day it came out, I played three months, and I did everything I needed to see, and I was done. <laughs> yeah, I think that it happens. If you're not playing with people you know, I think MMOs yeah. are always strange to play solo. At least WoW is accessible now, but even back then, even as the quote-unquote most accessible 
MMO. Well, it's still not that accessible. <laughs> I, I at least know one person who's still playing it, but they say they only play it for the PvP. Like they're that's the only thing they play for anymore. Yeah. Plus, Draenor was kind of a disaster expansion. So. It seems to get weirder and weirder to me from an outside perspective every time I see a new expansion pack. They're like, oh, it's coming out for World of Warcraft. Ah, motorcycles. Yeah, they <laughs> – plus they lost 5 million subscribers in six months. So that was – that's not yeah. good. <laughs> and like no one's ever probably going to dethrone them, at least for like a good while. People have tried and it's just not happening for MMOs. I just think it's because people just don't care. <laughs> yeah mmos are kind of passe a little bit well because if you want to talk about a time sink there it is right there you know you have to do your dailies your weeklies you have to do all this and like you have to actually make schedule your time when you're playing an mmo <laughs> yeah i have hundreds and hundreds of hours of my characters so i'm so did you, a time sink. did you ever wake up at three o'clock in the morning to do raids with people because you had to get something uh no <laughs> okay good i've heard stories of people like that back when stuff first opened up you know it's i like, have stayed up till 4 a.m playing world of warcraft oh yeah well who hasn't yeah <laughs> four or five maybe just all night just all night who knows what what, what time you started right <laughs> yeah who knows or what day it was i know i got my whole family into it so when, See, that's, that's what cool. happens it's the cycle of playing when the new expansion comes out we'll play again probably See, that's cool right there. At least you can like enjoy that as a family thing. Whether you even if you really want to get sold in the game, you can spend family time doing that. Yeah, it is nice. So, so do you all play in the same room? No, <laughs> I don't think we could. You don't think you could? Things get tense. <laughs> so who's the leader? Uh, nobody's the leader necessarily. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> see, that'd be fun. Like playing games with parents is fun, and that. You know, some some people even think that's uncomfortable. Like parents can't play games with kids. Yeah, well, and that's a misnomer. I could tell you. That yeah, <laughs> one of the coolest things I remember about my mom. My mom would play video games. Is she beat Captain Skyhawk on regular Nintendo. And have you ever played that game? I believe I owned this game at one point. Captain it's, Skyhawk. I the box art. The box art is coming to mind yeah, right now. It's yeah. It's where you fly the F fourteen and you're yeah. fighting all the aliens and everything, and you have like the side missions where you have to like spin into the docking station and I everything. I definitely own this game at one point. Yeah. It has that green. It has that like weird, like tile backgrounds kind of. Thing. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This. And it's got the things on the ground like shooting at you and everything, and like some levels where you're going super fast. My mom beat that. <laughs> oh goodness i yeah. definitely didn't yeah i've never beat that but my mom sat there and beat it and like we were sitting there playing games and she beat that when i was a young kid and i just you know i just think that's like one of the coolest things like oh my mom beat captain skyhawk <laughs> captain skyhawk man yeah. memory lane goodness yeah what a random shooter what a random <laughs> title to bring up yeah why do i even own why did i even own it i don't know yeah see but now you're gonna want to play it now yeah. you're gonna need to get that nostalgia in there and Oh, man, yeah, goodness. Well, that makes me comfortable. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you do like the shoot 'em ups Yeah, I do, I do. I haven't played any of those in a long time, and I don't know where to find a good one. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you where, but you've got to be willing to come out of your comfort zone. Okay, here we go. Let's recommend games that we think would be very difficult for each other to play. All right. I'm gonna, let me <laughs> get out my notepad be here. Our, this will be our final segment. Here we go. Okay. Okay, so if you were to, knowing, do you know what kind of games I like? 
you, I know you love the Bayonettas. The okay. Bayonettas and the Devil May Cries. Yeah, I like I like stylish action games. I like JRPGs. And I also like Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of my, my gaming palette. Kind of goes all over the place, but I hate sports games the most. So there you go. Okay. So I could recommend sports games. Um, hmm. This is interesting because it's hard because we have about the same taste <laughs> in games. So like, <laughs> so I'm trying to think of what's outside my comfort zone that you could really play. Um, I was considering picking up a Madden game just for a podcast like this, but I there were so many of them, I didn't know which one would even be viable for me to pick at all. See, Madden games are fun. I like Madden games. I don't buy them because that's just $60 a year that I can just keep in my pocket. You know? Yeah, that's why I was figuring like Madden games go really cheap, really fast, and I don't care about roster changes. So, see, or you could try, uh, you could try baseball games too. Baseball, because baseball has more to it, like systematically. If you think about it, like if you want to try some of the batting systems where you have to coordinate moving the stick to hit and hitting the button. Or in some of the newer ones, uh, like for the show and everything on PlayStation 3 and 4, you have to use the analog stick to bat sometimes if you want. That's like pull, interesting. You have to pull back the stick to time your step and everything and then push forward at the right time. And if you mistime it, it's like it's a weak hit or you miss. So are these like uh, simulation baseball? Uh, MLB The Show is simulation, yes. Okay. It's probably like one of the best. Because simulation that, is the thing I, I don't understand at all. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I, I would be willing to try one. It just depends. I would say probably, yeah, go ahead and try Madden. I was going to toss out another game because I don't know if you'd play these games. How about Harvest Moon? Harvest Moon. You know what? I have Harvest Moon. I just can never get into them. Oh, there you go. There's another one outside your comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Farming just really isn't that exciting. <laughs> See, at least I didn't recommend Farming Simulator. <laughs> Is there one? Yes, there is. Farming Simulator 15. And it's oh, actually... yeah. It's that thing with the tractor on it. But they make everything. They made a Street Sweeper simulator. Who keeps making all these simulator games? I think it's the same people, but they obviously get some sort of money because they keep making them every year. Because I think Farming Simulator was Farming Simulator 15. You know, at that point, why not just have an actual farm? Yeah. Maybe it's, it's teaching people how to farm. Is it so exciting that they just need like a yearly release of the farming? Yeah. I want to know who's waiting in line for those games. Who's buying this? <laughs> yeah. Like, who's excited? Like, I don't see that on anyone's, like, you know, what are you excited to play this year? Farming Simulator 16. <laughs> okay, so do you have a specific Madden to recommend or just Madden in general? Um, I could probably go cheap. I think probably the best Madden that I played was probably 2005. That is a long time ago. <laughs> it is. It was good. I guess it depends on how new you want to play, but you know, you'll get it's pretty much the same core concept pretty much for every Madden game. Yeah, cuz when you look at the Amazon reviews, they they vary wildly. <laughs> yes, and a lot of that is, you know, people buy these things every year and not much changes and that's where a lot of the negative reviews come from. Okay, okay. So if you basically if you buy one for cheap, it doesn't really matter. Pretty much. I mean, the graphics are a lot better. They've done some new systems, but everyone always complains every year like you know, it's just a roster upgrade, and I'm paying $60 for this. Yeah, which is like, who cares? Yeah. 
So I've tried to go through the thing with sports games. If I buy one, I try to play it for at least two to three years and then get a new one. Well, you don't get to play online every year, but... Yeah, but I think it makes you not um, get uh, tired of the franchises, you know? Yeah, because it would be exhausting to just buy it every year. Like, I I can bring this, you know, an example. Call of Duty. I bought Black Ops 3 this year, and I haven't owned a Call of Duty game since Modern Warfare or Modern Warfare 2. And everybody hates on every single Call of Duty game that comes out because it's the same game. But since I haven't played one in years, like, I think it's great. Yeah, I think because I played, like, Modern Warfare, the original one. I thought it was great. But, like, I own all of the Call of Duties because I got them for, like, 4 or $5. And when I want <laughs> Call of Duty again, I'll just play yeah. one. And I bought it to play online, and that's something like I, for some reason, I wanted to start playing online shooters, and it was either that or Battlefront. And I thought Black Ops Three gave me more for my money, at least out the gate, than Battlefront. Huh. Okay. So, so yeah, I'd say pick up Madden two thousand five. Just go with it. That shouldn't set you back. Probably only like a dollar. You can get Madden twenty five for like two dollars. Madden twenty. Okay, you could try that one too. Yeah, although everyone seems to say, this game is crap. Horrendous. <laughs> Pointless. This has to stop EA. <laughs> See, but that's what comment sections get you on the internet. Yeah, it's almost like I feel like I shouldn't even read this. Yeah. If you read it, you're going to hate everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to read anything. Yeah. I mean, meta, I guess, you know, Metacritic's even full. Oh, this game's loved, but for some reason, everyone hates it. Yeah, the Metacritic scores are always low for these two. Yeah. So. All right. So, so man, I'm going to get one, and I'll play it. I'll report back. I, I'm i excited to hear what you think about sports games. Are you a sports fan at all in general? I, I'm okay with arcade sports games, so like yeah. Mario Golf, Mario Tennis. NFL Blitz. Uh, yeah, if they ever released a new one. Yeah. Um, MLB Power Pros. That's the one with those, like, the Japanese ones with the weird... Oh, the, the big heads? Yeah. I thought I like you were going to say one. Slugfest. I think that was the arcade one that we had like over here. Slugfest? What is that? I think that's the one where you can throw like 150 mile an hour pitches and everything like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's weird because everything's got to have a crazy arcade game. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I like that though. Oh, yeah. All right. They're fun. They're great party games. Let me see. So what do you like? Uh... I'm kind of like you. I got the JRPGs. I've been through that fix. I like action games, so I'll play the Uncharted's. Um, I like music games. I'm trying to... Uh, fighting <laughs> games are outside my comfort zone. I will tell you that fighting much. Fighting games. Yes, as I'm looking at Soul Calibur 2 here, which is my wife's copy, and I'm like, yeah, I've never really been good at fighting games. <laughs> Do you have Soul Calibur 2? What? Yeah, for, for, for GameCube. And you ain't playing it? <laughs> Yeah, oh. Soul Calibur is fantastic. I remember buying this too when it came out, and I was so excited. I bought it. Oh, Link's in it. Zelda. I can do this. And then, like, I got bored with it after a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Soul Calibur is like one of the easiest fighting games to play. It is. I remember getting Street Fighter Four also because I'm like sitting there. Oh, Street Fighter Four. It's going to be great. No, and... Street Fighter practice. That's practice. Ooh, getting Link's I... understanding how to play. The ramp up in difficulty in Street Fighter is just ridiculous. You get to that certain point, and then you just get beat down consistently. Yeah, well, you know what? I think it's more of a... You really have to know what you're doing. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, you have to look up stuff on the internet. You have to look at things exterior to the game, because it's not a game about, like, learning just the mechanics. It's also about, like, fighting the other guy. Yeah. You have to learn your opponent. You have to learn their habits and movements in addition to the character yeah. they're playing, which yeah. is tough. And people with their, like, sometimes frame-specific movements. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. I, I can't look. The that's, depth that's in them, like, you know, it's crazy, the depth that's in some of these fighting games. It's practice and dedication. And if you get beaten and you want to beat that person more, then that's the kind of spirit you need to, like, play any fighting game. See, I can play Smash Brothers because I can just button mash all day long. <laughs> yeah, but at higher levels of play, you can't really button mash even in Smash Brothers, which is yeah. pretty amazing. That That's a fighting game people play now. But <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it's great. It's so great. And I'm happy Cloud and yeah. Riot you are in it, because that's fun. You're familiar with fighting games, though, so let yes. me find something maybe more obscure. Okay. Oh, we're going obscure fighting games. Oh, no, no, no. Not even <laughs> oh. obscure fighting games, just obscure games in general. Uh, oh. Okay, so there is this game that I played recently, and it is from a company called Cave. And Cave oh. makes what are called uh, Danmaku or bullet hell shooters. <laughs> oh, this sounds like this is going to be great. <laughs> and the game in question is called Mushe Hime Sama or uh, Bug Princess or Insect Princess as it's usually translated. Either okay. way. So basically, the game is an arcade game that was actually released in arcades and it has five levels. But it's, uh, it's a very accessible, very well made shooting game. And uh, shooting games are a lot more interesting than I think people give them credit for. All right. I think I found it. I think I spelled it right. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> transliterated, so it's not going to be exact 100%. But, yeah. But I've you talked know. about this on the podcast before. But, but anyway, for anyone who is unfamiliar with this kind of game, buy this version of the game, which is on Steam. It's the first time it was ever translated into English. And... Uh, just play original mode. It's really not that hard, and like all shooting games, the point is not so much to uh, just kind of credit feed your way through the game. It's to beat the game in one continuous run, which they call a one credit clear. So once you do it that way, the game becomes very compelling and kind of an interesting mix of memorization and knowing where you want to be at a particular level and setting yourself up for victory and using your bombs effectively. So it's actually really, really fun that way. I see by looking at these screens that I don't understand how your character is still alive at some of these points. You have a very <laughs> tiny hitbox. It's very <laughs> tiny. This looks ridiculous. You might be looking at ultra mode, which is like... Maybe. It's completely unreasonable when the whole screen is covered in stuff. It, look, it looks fun, though. It original, looks like it's... Yeah. Original mode is much more accessible... You can actually see the bullets, and you'll get used to it eventually. But, yeah. So is this uh, progressing forward like, uh, oh, what is that? The old plane game, 1949 or whatever? Is this kind of how it like plays? That. Like that, yeah. Kind of like that. Okay. Except uh, the difficulty level is probably a little bit higher than that. Depends. Because in this game, the, there are more bullets, but they're slower. Because old arcade games used to have those aimed bullet things. Yeah. Where they just, like, come careening at you at, like, high speed. And if you didn't know to dodge, you'd just die. 
So, is there actually levels, or is it just one continuous whole game? There's five separate levels, and each okay. one has like a mid boss and an end boss, and you just have to survive. <laughs> so, I will set up the goal then by buying this of making it to at least the first mid boss. I will set the bar low first. <laughs> it, it shouldn't be that hard. The first two stages are not so hard, but after that, you really gotta like set yourself a goal. To actually beat the levels. And there's a practice mode, so you can practice each level in exclusion. So you don't have to, like, go through it all in one go and then, like, fail again after playing the same two stages over and over and over again. Seems like people really like it, though. Yeah, it does have extraordinarily high uh, Steam user rating, I think. Well, it gives me a a reason to use my computer. Yeah. So... (laughs) I believe I bought it at full price, and I'm, I'm I was not disappointed. Yeah, I think right now it says it's nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, it, took me, I th- it might go on sale soon though. So, see, yeah, because there's always Steam sales. Something's always on sale on Steam. Yeah. <laughs> so, plus they gotta do some sort of sale. They do a sale like what every season. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a spring sale in about two months. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be my guess. This game will probably be about $10, so... And that's when you find yourself buying games that you'll never play, but for some reason a $2 game... Oh, I can't pass this up. Yeah, you gotta own this. <laughs> yeah. But never played it, but here we go. But Mushahime-sama, worth buying. Alright, I will put that on the list, and I, spent, I will... I spent 16 hours beating it on one credit, and it was very satisfying. 16 hours? Yeah, well, it takes that long to memorize stuff. <laughs> Is there save states? Uh, No. Although save states would be super helpful to actually memorize certain parts of the level. but So did you have to play this consistently for 16 hours? Uh, Well, I played like the individual stages. Like stage 3, 4, and 5 I played like by themselves over and over again until I got the gist of it. Then then I did one run and I actually did it in one credit. So it made me happy. (laughs) I think I have a YouTube video of it too. I'll have to check that out. So hints and tips. Hints and tips in it. Hints and tips. Hints and tips. Theology (laughs) game into YouTube. Yeah, hints and tips. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, I think we're going to have to uh, wrap up this podcast because we've been rambling on way too long. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, Brandon, Brandon Ball Z, thank you for being my one and only guest. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. Hope to do this more in the future. Yeah, we should. So, so bye, everybody. Bye bye. Oh, wait. I got to do the the extra thing. All right, so this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you liked what you heard, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, subscribe, tell other people about it, etc. If you want to talk to us, because we like to talk on the internet sometimes, you can go on (laughs) Theology Gaming University on our Facebook group, where we seem to be constantly talking about things now since the new year started. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And if you have any questions, ask them in that group, because we'll probably answer them on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you guys later. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.